This is the Bible Book Club, where each episode we dive deep into the only book written 2,000 years ago that can still change your life today. Welcome to the club! Well, when last you left us on Bible Book Club, as we are trekking through Leviticus and law school, as we like to call it, Susan and I affectionately like to call it, we were reviewing all those types of offerings. And this time, though, was a little different. God was providing the instructions for the priests rather than the people. But after two weeks of law school, we took a break. We were discussing then anthropology, another riveting subject. No, it was riveting. No, it was. It's more riveting than law school. No, I'm just, I tease, I jest. But uh, (laughs) specifically, it was a discovery made by a woman named Mary Douglas, who wrote a book that Susan discovered. And Mary, like me, and maybe like you, was trying to make sense of these sacrifices. Remember, they were a different a different society and sacrificing was something that was common and to them and to all of the surrounding peoples. And she discovered this pattern and it mimicked the three-way division of the mountain and the tabernacle in the way the animal was divided. Right. So this week, um, we are going to leave the laws behind for a hot minute. And remember that at this point in Israel's history, we have this problem. There was not yet a way for the sinful people to be in the presence of their holy and pure guide. Leviticus solves the problem by providing the way with three things, rituals, the priesthood, and this concept of purity. The rituals or sacrifices are to atone for their sins so they can worship God. The priests are to intercede on the people's behalf and lead them in worship and the laws to deal with impurity and and teach them how to live as God's treasured possession. Now, the people and the priests have been instructed with all the ritual law they need to begin worship in the tabernacle. So that section of Leviticus is complete. Remember, we'll we'll go up and then in, in our outline, atonement is in the middle. And we will cover some of the rituals at the end in a different way. But for now, we're leaving rituals. It's time to move into the second section of our outline in Leviticus, which focuses on the priest's ordination. Now, I have titled this episode, No Room for Error, uh, because I feel the priest's pain, and you will find out why there is no room for error in what they have to do, and we will tell a story of that today. (laughs) I thought you titled it like that because I'm a perfect number one Enneagram. Oh, gosh. (laughs) No. No, Heather. No, it wasn't all about you. (laughs) Anyway, chapter eight is what we're going to start with. Chapter eight, the Lord said to Moses, bring Aaron and his sons, their garments, the anointing oil, the bowl for the sin offering, the two rams and the basket containing bread made without yeast and gather the entire assembly at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Moses did as the Lord commanded him and the assembly gathered at the entrance to the tent of meeting. All right, we're going to pause to note something here. Moses did just as the Lord commanded because Moses was a man of obedience. And we're going to have a great contrast to that in the next chapter of this episode that we're going to cover. And we could argue that obedience was actually the key to Moses's success. However, he wasn't born obedient. He fought it in the beginning. Remember, if you were with us in Exodus, he made a lot of excuses to God about why he wasn't the right person to lead Israel. He was bold, but not obedient. The words Moses did as the Lord commanded really tells the story of his success. 
The first mention of Moses doing as the Lord commanded was when he accepted God's call and stepped out in obedience for the first time. And that was in Exodus 7, 6. It said, Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old. So he accepted that call and became obedient at 80. Because remember before that, 40 years before that, he ran away from Egypt when he killed the guard. So it's rather a late start, but encouraging example for us because it's telling us that it's never too late. Then these words were said again twice when he saved Israel from Egypt. So at his calling, when he saved Egypt, which was the creation of a nation, Moses did as the Lord commanded before Pharaoh in Exodus 7. In verse 10, it says, says, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Then 10 verses later in 720, Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile. These are a courageous example of what God can do through us when we overcome our fear of others, no matter how powerful they are. Then again, twice in relation to the creation of the tabernacle, the holy space for God's presence, Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded. In Exodus 40, 16, it said, Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded him. So the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month in the second year. Then again, in Leviticus 8, where we are now at the grand opening of that holy place, the tabernacle, where God is going to meet the Israelites and solve this problem of having a place to dwell with them. It says, Moses did as the Lord commanded and the assembly gathered at the entrance of the tent of meeting. God is calling Israel to be holy. With that came a lot of instructions and Moses consistently followed through obediently. You know what I was thinking about? Mm. What if God said, and Susan did as the Lord commanded. I know, right. And what if God said, and Heather did just as the Lord commanded and Buck did just as the Lord commanded. And what if God said to you, and you did just as the Lord commanded. And there's those list of instructions, right? He's calling all of us, not just Israel. He's calling all of us to be holy. And that's why we study this book, even though it's a little out of sorts and weird to us in our culture, there's things in our culture that make it kind of hard to do just as the Lord commanded. And so we, we can't tell you what that is. If you listen and read your Bible, God will tell you what that is. It's not for us to say, and I don't say that from a point of judgment. I just say that from a point of what is God commanding you to do that he really wants to be able to say, and Heather did just as the Lord commanded. She did it. And that's something that you have to answer for yourself. But I think as you go and listen through this, just think through that. What is the Lord commanding me to do? And if I don't know, then what do I need to be open to to find that out? I think that's a great point, Jess. We can do all kinds of good works. We can sacrifice our time and our money. But if we don't obey God's word, God will be disappointed rather than delighted. And First Samuel chapter 15 tells us that. Samuel is pointing this out to Saul. He says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. So it kind of turns all this on its head, but we're actually at the end of this episode going to get to something with Aaron that kind of turns it on its head too. So keep going. All right, continuing on in verse five, Moses said to the assembly, this is what the Lord has commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. He put the tunic on Aaron, 
tied the sash around him, clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him. He also fastened the ephod with a decorative waistband, which he tied around him. He placed the breastpiece on him and put the Urim and Thunim in the breastpiece. Then he placed the turban on Aaron's head and set the gold plate, the sacred emblem, on the front of it as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it and so consecrated them. He sprinkled some of the oil on the altar seven times, anointing the altar and all its utensils in the basin with its sand to consecrate them. He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Then he brought Aaron's sons forward, put tunics on them, tied sashes around them, and fashioned caps on them as the Lord commanded Moses. Okay, so we're getting Aaron already to be ordained. In the Bible, oil frequently stands for the Holy Spirit. So anointing with oil is a special imparting of the Holy Spirit to an individual called to a specific task, which is what Aaron is being called to. The names Christ, which is Greek, and Messiah, which is Hebrew, both mean anointed. And as we've discussed in prior episodes, seven is a number of completion used often in the Bible and after which our time is modeled of seven days in the week. So next in this ordination, there's going to be a series of three offerings for the ordination, a sin offering, a burnt offering, and a wave offering. This is the description of the sin offering. Before I go to the sin offering, I want to ask you something. Mm -hmm. Do you think that, so they do just as the Lord commanded, right? But do you think this is something that seemed weird to them? The Lord is asking them to place this turb and the Lord is asking them to do all these things and do the, the, um, sacrificing on the altar and sprinkling the oil and all that. Is that something that they were like, this is weird? Or is it like, this is what we do and that's fine. I'm going to do it. Well, I think because sometimes God tells me to do something and I'm like, I don't know know if I want to do that. It's kind of weird. Well, I think most of the cultures in those days had rituals or priesthoods of types. Like they came out of Egypt and certainly we know that Egypt had lots of rituals. So the, the putting on of the ordained garments or the specially, you know, the crafted. Well, these were all kind of things we, we learned that he laid out for them to do already. We learned right. in Exodus. Right. right. So I understand that part of it. I was just wondering if maybe that was, this was something out of the ordinary that he was asking them to do. So it was important that they did it. I think it was new to them. I think it was new to them and that's why it's spelled out so specifically what they're supposed to do. But I, I don't think it probably would have been as strange as it is to us. Yeah, because how many know he doesn't normally spell it out this succinctly? When Correct, but everything is different. Do. I don't know if you've, you know, I've been to bar mitzvahs and I've been to a lot of different denominations. And it seems a little odd to me because it's not, I don't understand it. It's not familiar, but mm-hmm. it's normal to the people sitting in the congregation. Right. Okay. I'll stop interrupting now and I will read the sin offering. There you go. 14. He then presented the bull for the sin offering and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on his head. Moses slaughtered the bull and took some of the blood and with his finger, he put it on all the horns of the altar to purify the altar. He poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. So he consecrated it to make atonement for it. Moses also took all the fat around the internal organs, the long lobe of the liver and both kidneys and their fat and burned it on the altar. 
But the bull with its hide and its flesh and its intestines, he burned up outside the camp as the Lord commanded Moses. Some of these things I'm going to cover in future episodes, the purifying and the blood at the base. So I'm not going to talk about that now. Well, I feel like we did already cover that too when he gave the instruction. Yes, yes. So next is the burnt offering. Verse 18, he then presented the ram for the burnt offering and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. Then Moses slaughtered the ram and splashed the blood against the sides of the altar. He cut the ram into pieces and burned the head, the pieces and the fat. He washed the internal organs and the legs with water and burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt offering, a pleasing aroma, a food offering presented to the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. And the last one is the wave offering. In verse 22, he then presented the other ram, the ram for the ordination and Aaron and his son laid their hands on its head. Moses slaughtered the ram and took some of the blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Moses also brought Aaron's sons forward and put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears, on the thumbs of their right hands and on the big toes of their right feet. Now, we haven't, I don't think, talked about the wave offering since uh, the Book of the Covenant celebration, which was in Exodus. But the wave offering was uh, a sign of celebration and fellowship. And um, I love this because it was symbolic reminder that their ears, hands and feet were set apart to God. So from now on, the priests were to listen with their ears to God's word, to proclaim them to God's people, use their hands for God's work and to use their feet to walk in God's ways. And we have a very similar calling today for our ears, hands and feet. Minus, of course, the blood part. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) All right. Continuing on. Then he splashed the blood against the sides of the altar. After that, he took the fat, the fat tail, all the fat around the internal organs, the long lobe of the liver, both kidneys and their fat and the right thigh. And from the basket of bread made without yeast, which was before the Lord, he took one thick loaf, one thick loaf with olive oil mixed in and one thin loaf. And he put these on the fat portions and on the right thigh. He put all these in the hands of Aaron and his sons, and they waved them before the Lord as a wave offering. Then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar on top of the burnt offering as an ordination offering, a pleasing aroma, a food offering presented to the Lord. Moses also took the breast, which was his share of the ordination ram, and waved it before the Lord as a wave offering, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then I remember when they wave it, they don't wave it back and forth like, hi, they wave it to and fro, like giving it to God and taking a portion back. Mm, I didn't remember that. Thank you for saying that. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood from the altar and sprinkled them on Aaron, his garments and on his sons and their garments. So he consecrated Aaron in his garments and his sons and their garments. Moses then said to Aaron, and his sons cook the meat at the entrance of the tent of meeting and eat it there with the bread from the basket of ordination offerings as I was commanded. Aaron and his sons are to eat it. Then burn up the rest of the meat and the bread. Do not leave the entrance to the tent of the meeting for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed for your ordination will last seven days. What has been done today was commanded by the Lord to make atonement for you. You must stay at the entrance of the tent of meeting 
morning, day, and night for seven days and do what the Lord requires so you will not die, for that is what I've been commanded. So Aaron and his sons did everything the Lord commanded through Moses. Before they could begin their ministry, Aaron and his sons had to complete these seven days of offerings, which was a lot. Um, But with the ordination of Aaron and his sons complete, It was time for the tabernacle grand opening for the first time in the Bible. Aaron and his sons, the very first priests, will lead a formal worship starting in chapter nine. On the eighth day, Moses summoned Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. He said to Aaron, take a bull calf for your sin offering and a ram for your burnt offering, both without defect and present them before the Lord. Okay, I love this little um, Moses to Aaron, take a bull calf. So this might have been a teeny weeny little reminder to Aaron um, in this instruction from his little brother, Moses, Uh, take a bull calf for your sin offering, because in all the offerings we have talked about so far, it always just says a bull, take a bull, take a bull or a ram or a pigeon, whatever, never says a bull calf. So perhaps Moses wanted Aaron to deeply feel the difference between this bull calf he was offering and the golden calf he created in his big moment of sin. The big broken moment that he was the leader of, maybe not the leader, but he was in charge at the time. Exactly. He allowed it to go on. Or if we want to be kind, we could say perhaps God wanted Aaron to know that he was truly forgiven with this bull calf offering. Having siblings myself, I kind of think Moses couldn't resist getting one more reminder in, like, this is the way you really do it, not with a golden calf. Yeah, but I actually like your second definition that he really was forgiven. Oh, no, he was definitely forgiven. Was fully now in the presence of the Lord and able to move forward as a priest and all of of his descendants as well. Yeah, he was definitely forgiven because remember, we've pondered this lots of times, like we're going to, it said just above, or you will die, you know, do this do it like this or you will die and Aaron didn't die so there was more to that story that we won't know until we get to heaven Mm. continuing on in verse three then say to the Israelites take the male goat for a sin offering a calf and a lamb both a year old and without defect for a burnt offering and an ox and a ram for the fellowship offering to sacrifice before the Lord together with a grain offering mixed with olive oil for today the Lord will appear to you They took the things Moses commanded to the front of the tent of meeting and the entire assembly came near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded you to do so that the glory of the Lord may appear on you. I don't think this scene has ever been played out in the movies, but it really should. Because if you can imagine two plus million people gathered around this like new whole courtyard that they can't really see into. I don't think it's the entrance of the tent of meeting and, and they're watching to see what's going to happen. Like this is the big day. The tabernacle's opening. Remember the Lord descended in a cloud on the tabernacle once they had it up, but nothing else has gone on. No one could go in. No one could do anything. And now they're waiting for what, what will this promise of the glory of Lord appearing look like? Um, we've, they've seen him in a cloud. They, they seen him 
at night and a day is a fire or a cloud, but what's, what's going to happen now? We finished Exodus with an episode called if they build it, will he come? And in that episode, the tabernacle, like I said, had been covered by the cloud um, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, but we just don't know what's going to happen next. What does this mean? Verse seven, Moses said to Aaron, come to the altar and sacrifice your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and the people. Sacrifice the offering that is for the people and make atonement for them as the Lord commanded. So Aaron came to the altar and slaughtered the calf as a sin offering for himself. His sons brought the blood to him and he dipped his finger into the blood and put it on the horns of the altar. The rest of the blood he poured out at the base of the altar. On the altar, he burned the fat, the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver from the sin offering as the Lord commanded Moses. The flesh and the hide he burned up outside the camp. Then he slaughtered the burnt offering. His sons handed him the blood and he splashed it against the sides of the altar. They handed him the burnt offering piece by piece, including the head, and he burned them on the altar. He washed the internal organs and the legs and burned them on top of the burnt offering on the altar. Aaron then brought the offering that was for the people. He took the goat for the people's sin offering and slaughtered it and offered it for a sin offering as he did with the first one. He brought the burnt offering and offered it in the prescribed way. He also brought the grain offering, took a handful of it and burned it on the altar in addition to the morning's burnt offering. He slaughtered the ox and the ram as the fellowship offering for the people. His sons handed in the blood and he splashed it against the sides of the altar. But the fat portions of the ox and the ram, the fat tail, the layer of fat, the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver, these they laid on the breasts. And then Aaron burned the fat on the altar. Aaron waved the breasts and the right thigh before the Lord as a wave offering as Moses commanded. Then Aaron lifted his hands toward the people and blessed them. And having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering and the fellowship offering, he stepped down. If you have not looked at our chart of offerings, it'll be in the show notes again, but it also has a column that tells you which offerings are typically and most often offered together. And right here we had three, and that's because he is making atonement for himself and for the people. And then he's doing a fellowship offering because it's a celebration. And then he gives us blessing. And the Jewish tradition says that the blessing here was the ironic blessing, which you have probably heard at some point in your life and you just didn't know it. And we read it many times in the Bible. It says the Lord will bless you and keep you. The Lord will make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord will turn his face toward you and give you peace. They used to say that blessing at my, I grew up in a Methodist church and that's what the pastor used to say at the end of mm -hmm. every single service. Yeah. One of my churches did that too. I love and it. now there's a really cool song by Carrie Job and Cody Carnes, I think her husband and called the blessing. And it says those mm. same words. It's really a great it. song. Yeah. All right. Verse 23, Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down, which so is, I think, what happens whenever that song, The Blessing, is sung. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's just a really cool image that I have in my head yes. of them doing that now 
when that song is played or I hear it, I think I'm going to think of that. Well, this is probably that promise of the glory of the Lord that was mentioned above. This is one of many examples of God using fire as a theophany or also called Shekinah glory. So far, we have seen God as a burning bush in Exodus, as a cloud and as a pillar of smoke and fire. Shekinah glory is a visible manifestation of God on earth whose presence is portrayed through a natural occurrence, in this case, fire. The word Shekinah is a Hebrew name meaning dwelling. So the fire is the Shekinah glory or the divine presence of God dwelling in the tabernacle. Kind of cool to think about. All right, here's where that no room for error comes in. Chapter 10 is the story of the death of Nadab and Abihu. And who are they? You're going to find out. Read on, girl. Can't wait. (laughs) Chapter 10. Aaron's sons, Nahab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his commands. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. And this, Susan, goes back to what you were talking about. Why, when Aaron led the rebellion or was in charge during the rebellion, he did not die. But yet his sons here, they do this and then they die. And I bet you it has something to do with my favorite subject. Oh, don't go there. The heart. <laughs> you, you promised you didn't read ahead in this last time. I did yes, not. Really we are going to go there. We are going to go there. But first, let's talk about them because people think this is a really, you know, uh, severe kind of outcome. But they were priests and they were set aside to be holy. And that meant obedience. So what did they do? No one is really sure what exactly they did wrong. There's a lot of speculation. What we do know is that the fire was unauthorized. Now, the priests were supposed to take coals from the altar of burnt sacrifices because that is the altar the Lord had set on fire. So remember, they were supposed to keep that fire burning all the time because that's the one the Lord set on fire. Well, that's where they were supposed to get the coals. It does not say that Nadab and Abihu did that. So perhaps they took coals from somewhere else. It just says it was unauthorized fire. Now, why was this so important that death was the consequence? With the creation of the tabernacle and the laws, God was preparing a way for Israel to be in relationship with him. There was just one way to do that. It was God's way, and they did it their way. Obedience is clearly important to God. Nadab and Abihu are sharp contrast to Moses, who we discussed did just Just as as the Lord Lord commanded. The point for us is this. God has provided us a way through Jesus. But similarly, there is just one way. If we try to do it our way, we will suffer a similar consequence for eternity. All right. Next, I want to talk about the pain of leadership because something interesting is going to happen with Aaron. Aaron's reaction, which we're going to get to in a second, is a study of the in the fortitude and devotion of a great leader. 
Um, they do not great leaders. And remember he is the high priest, the very first high priest. They do not, whether you're priest or president, you do not have the luxury of giving into your emotions in times of crisis. They must do what is best for a higher calling. John Adams, Abraham Lincoln, Calvin Coolidge, and John Kennedy all suffered the loss of a child while in office. Many more lost children, but these four lost children while in office. And Franklin Pierce lost his last surviving child, his third child, while en route to Washington for his own inauguration. Can you imagine that? His son was crushed in a, in a train ride when they were riding to his inauguration. And this was, he had already lost two other children. To experience such deeply personal tragedy while in a very public position of overwhelming responsibility requires great commitment, courage, and self-control. And that's why Aaron is going to do. You're going to see that in him. Um, I don't, it says just a few words about Aaron's reaction. I don't think this was easy for him. He saw his sons literally burned up and their cousins had to carry them out of the camp. They're burned bodies. This would have been horrific. And yet, if you'll read on, Heather, we'll hear what he does. Aaron remained silent. Moses summoned Mishael and Elisaphan, sons of Aaron's uncle Uziel, and said to them, Come here, carry your cousins outside the camp, away from the front of the sanctuary. So they came and they carried them, still in their tunics, outside the camp as Moses ordered. Then Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Eleazar and Ithmar, do not let your hair become unkept and do not tear your clothes or you will die and the Lord will be angry with the whole community. But your relatives, all the Israelites may mourn for those the Lord has destroyed by fire. Do not leave the entrance of the tent of meeting or you will die because the Lord's anointing oil is on you. So they did as Moses said. Aaron remained silent. No tears of anguish, no outbursts of anger, no bitterness at God and no blaming Moses. There was a rule at the time, apparently, after reading up on this, ordinary priests were allowed to mourn for immediate family members. However, high priests could not mourn outwardly for anyone. Yeah. And these are obviously immediate family members, but he's not he's allowed a high priest, to right. even mourn. Well, right. if you've ever lost somebody in your family, whether it's immediate or not, you know, it's really hard to not have that emotion. Mm -hmm. So here he's just been anointed for this high calling. He knows the rules and he hears Moses giving these instructions that they can't become unkempt. They can't tear their clothes. They can't cry. Aaron willed himself to obey and remain silent and still while his nephews carry his son's bodies out of the camp. And it doesn't even say how they were buried or if they had a regular burial or what really technically that meant outside the camp. Like, was no one to really be able to go. But I applaud Aaron because in the past, he hasn't always done the right thing. And in this case, he does. However, we're going to have a little more instruction here. Verse eight, then the Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meeting or you will die. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come so that you can distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. And so you can teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. All right. So like the bull calf comment, that one little word inserted there, this little bit of instruction kind of implies something. Uh, this addition to the 
tabernacle rules about alcohol implies that Nadab and Abihu were drinking when they committed the fire error. Because Moses is clearly saying, hey, you know, um, no drinking while you're on duty because you you make mistakes that way. Judgment is impaired. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Verse 12, Moses said to Aaron and his remaining sons, Eleazar and Ithmar, take the grain offering left over from the food offerings prepared without yeast and present it to the Lord and eat it beside the altar for it is most holy. Eat it in the sanctuary area because it is your share and your son's share of the food offerings presented to the Lord. For so I have been commanded, but you and your sons and your daughters may eat the breast that was waved and the thigh that was presented. Eat them in a ceremonially clean place. They have been given to you and your children as your share of the Israelites fellowship offerings. The thigh that was presented and the breast that was waved must be brought with the fat portions of the food offerings to be waved before the Lord as a wave offering. This will be the perpetual share for you and your children as the Lord has commanded. When Moses inquired about the goat of the sin offering and found that it had been burned up, he was angry with Eleazar and Ithmar, Aaron's remaining sons, and asked, why didn't you eat the sin offering in the sanctuary area? It is most holy. It was given to you to take away the guilt of the community by making atonement for them before the Lord. Since its blood was not taken into the holy place, you should have eaten the goat in the sanctuary area as I commanded. Aaron replied to Moses, Today, they sacrificed their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, but such things as this has happened to me. Would the Lord have been pleased if I had eaten the sin offering today? When Moses heard this, he was satisfied. Aaron has disobeyed, he and his sons, but it is allowed. Moses gives instructions for Aaron and his sons to execute a wave offering, which is a fellowship offering, a celebration of relationship. However, they disobey by abstaining from eating the offering. Moses, of course, is furious, but God takes no action. Why? Aaron responds that they could not eat when their family had just died. His intent was not to disobey. They simply could not partake out of grief because the portion was not to be eaten with sorrow, but with the rejoicing and thanksgiving. So when the priest was, you know, partook of the fellowship offerings or whatever, whatever their portion was, it was supposed to be in rejoice and thanksgiving because that's what those offerings were for. Aaron felt unfit to partake of eating, knowing that his heart was not rejoicing. So that's one commentary. In regards to not eating the part for the burnt offering or whatever, several commentaries said it was it might have been because these were his own blood, his sons, and he felt guilty for what they had done. Like so he was on him. For them. Right. Well, and he felt like he couldn't partake in the offering because this the sin was on him. Mm-hmm. It it's complicated, but in both cases, he didn't feel like it would delight the Lord for him to eat it because in his heart he he wasn't there. He wasn't in a place to have the right attitude of heart to take the offering. God and Moses saw Aaron's heart and understood his decision. So the conclusion here is this. There is no room for error in disobedience if your heart does not have the right motive. Aaron's sons, his first two sons, died for their disobedience. Aaron and his other two sons did not because of the motive of their heart. We today have that same promise, the promise from a God who sees our heart. Jeremiah 17, 10 says this, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. 
Then Psalm 139, 23 says this, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So it does come down to the posture of your heart. So then let me ask this question once again. What would it look like if God said to you, you, insert your name here, did just as the Lord commanded? What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to susanme.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio. Edited by Buck Buchanan. Produced by Haley Mawatt.